0: I love you, too. Always good to be here. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 22, if you would, please, and it's always a blessing for my wife and I to be here. We were here just three months ago in July, and you're probably wondering why we're back again, we just had nowhere else to go, and we like it here. And so we we like your pastor, we like his wife, we like you, we love the church here and his family. I'm a little bit uh, uneasy tonight. Uh, because, because we flew down from Seattle this afternoon, and our bags decided not to come. <laughs> and so, um, so it's just you know, what you see is what you get kind of a thing. And I want to let you know that I understand that this is very unusual, and um, I feel like I'm at camp or something. <laughs> but um, um, and I, we, we really do try to pattern our ministry like Jesus and the Apostle Paul. I know when Paul and Silas went out, uh, he always had a suit um, <clears throat> he, had, um, he had a little display that he set up <laughs> with his prayer cards and, and tomorrow, lord willing, i 'll have all of that and uh, have just like Paul did, and just like jesus did and and we 'll be more like uh, we 'll be more like we should be but <clears throat> but so uh, i 'm a little uneasy about tonight, but uh, i won 't tell anybody if you don 't. Actually, I don't see anybody else here dressed like Paul and Silas except you, my friend, and uh, Jose, right? And uh, Brother Jose is the only one I see dressed like... Is it jo- not, not, not Jose? Oh, I'm thinking of your brother. <laughs> and anyway, you didn't understand what I said anyway, right? <coughs> so it's Okay. <laughs> But at least we have someone here who's dressed like Paul and Silas and Jesus, and so we thank you for that. But uh, what are you doing, sweetheart? She's taking a picture. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go ahead and have have maybe just sing a couple of songs while my wife and I talk. (laughs) Matthew chapter 22. I want to talk to you for a few minutes uh, this evening, and and I really am honored to to be here. always love being here. But I want to talk to you about this missions conference, this missions emphasis we're going to have for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I'm excited about being able to be be a part of it. I really believe that the missions program uh, is the most important thing that we do. Missions is the nearest thing to the heart of God. Uh, People are, are the nearest thing to the heart of God. And so missions is all about people. It's the most unselfish thing that you do in your church. And that is being able to reach out into other areas uh, to give over and above your tithe and offering to be able to give so that uh, the, the gospel can go, uh, go out in places where, where you, you are not able to go. And really, if you think about it, as I said, the most unselfish thing that you do, whenever, if I'm a member of this church when I tithe, there's, a, there, there's, there's some benefit to me. I have this building, we have the pastor, we have, the, we have the, the the fellowship here, we have all of the different programs and things that go on, and I, I benefit from it. But when you give over and above your tithe, and that money is given to missions and used outside of your church, there's nothing that, that you gain from it, personally. It doesn't help you with the parking lot, it doesn't help you with the buildings, it doesn't help you with your with the nursery, um, all of that is it, it's just, just out, out somewhere else. And that's money that your church unselfishly gives to be able to help young couples like this go out and start a church or missionaries like we have. We have 110 now. I think we probably had, when I was with you three months ago, <coughs> excuse me, we had about 75 or 80 pastors that we were supporting in 20 different countries. Now we have 110 uh, men that we're supporting in, uh, in just these last three months. We've added several uh, 110 men in 21 different countries. And God is putting out the gospel all over the world as a result of. Churches like yours that are able to give and willing to give, and we can use that money to help get, people, get the gospel around the world. So I think it's really a very, very, very important part of your, of your program. But there is a danger in the missions conference. Missions the danger is that we begin to think that where the reason we're gathered for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is because it's all about this. We're here to raise money. It's not about this. It's not about this. It's about this. Um, the missions conference is not about raising money. It's about raising you, uh, raising Christians. It's about us becoming more like Jesus and becoming more what He wants us to be. It's about your heart, not your money. What God wants is not your money; He wants you. God can't be bought. You can't just uh, you can't buy Him off by saying, "Hey, I'll give you some money." No, God says, "I want you. I- I'm after you." God loves you. Their danger is that we think it's about raising money rather than raising. God's people. In Matthew chapter 22, I want you to notice a passage with me. There's a familiar passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 22, if you look, if you would please, with me, in verse 36, a man comes to Jesus and he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? What's the top commandment? There's 613, I think, commandments in the law. And this man says, of those 613, which one is number one? Which one is the most important? Notice what Jesus said. Verse 37. And by the way, the answer was none of them. He doesn't even quote one of the 613 commandments that they have. He gives He gives this commandment. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first. What God's after is your heart. And the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if this week is a success, we're going to be more in love with Jesus than, ...and his work when we finish this time together. It's really all about these commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, and then the great commandment... ...the great commission, Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Let's have a word of prayer and spend a few minutes thinking about these three things. Number one, I pray, Father, that you bless uh, our time together. And God, may we, uh, may you speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us, Father, to uh, really see the, <clears throat> the focus that you have... ...and you want us to have for this, for this time together. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts... Draw us closer to you. May we be more in love with Jesus as a result of these Friday, Saturday, Sunday meetings we're going to have. Thank you for our pastor for his family. Ask for your continued blessings upon this church in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. Jesus said, "The first commandment, the most important one, is Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart." Now you understand that it's possible for you to do everything that you do in serving God, yet not love Him as you once did. It's possible for us to, to, to sing in the choir. To sing, to, to teach Sunday school, work in children's ministry, preach from the pulpit—we can do everything that we do in our local church on autopilot, and yet not and not really coming from the heart. We can just get to the point where it's just we're going through the motions. We've always done it, we continue to do it, but there's no there's no real motivation of a love for God. Look look in Re- Revelation chapter two, if you would please. Revelation chapter two. You might say, well, Pastor, I don't see how somebody or preacher, I don't see how somebody could could. Um, could really be serving God and yet not love God. <clears throat> I know you can. You know why? I've been serving God for almost fifty years. I pastored for forty years, and I'm telling you that I know you can. You can serve God. So, thank you, babe. Uh, I know you can serve God without loving Him. You know why? I know it because I've done it. I've done it. I pastored for over forty years. Uh, that means every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, all of the all of the uh, the uh, uh, chapels for the school all of the different things that go on every day, every week, 52 weeks a year, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm there. I'm preaching. I'm teaching. And yet sometimes my heart was not right with God. Sometimes I, I, sometimes I was upset with God. Sometimes I was angry with God. Sometimes I was disappointed. Sometimes I was away from God. There were things in my life that weren't really right, and I had to stop and get them right. I had to come back and say, God, something's wrong in my heart. Lord, I, I, I can't just keep doing this like this. Um, I know we can serve God without really loving Him. Why? Because I've done it. Look at Revelation chapter 2, if you would, please. The Bible uh, talks about a church, the church at Ephesus. Notice what God says about this church. Under the angel of the church at Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of his seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. This is a working church. This is a good church. This is a church that's laboring. They're working. Um, if, you were, if you and your wife were to move to Ephesus... And say, you know, we want to. We're, we're looking for a good independent fundamental Baptist church. And so you you went around, you visited churches, you walked in the door of the church at Ephesus, you looked around, you say, you know what, this is a good church. Look at what what, what Look what they're doing. They're working. They're not lazy. They're laboring. Then thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. They were separated. They had. They were laboring. They were separated. You have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, as found them liars. They had good doctrine. They had a good doctrinal position. They said, look, there's some things, we, we don't, we, we're not going to put up a false doctrine in our church. We have, we're laboring, we're separated, we have good doctrine. Verse three, you have born. you have patience, for my name's sake, has labored. And I mean, you're, you're, by the time you leave this church after two or three times of visiting, you're saying, this is it. This is our church, honey. We found it. It's a good church. They just had one problem. They didn't love Jesus. Other than that, they were great. <laughs> Look at the next verse, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Thou hast left thy first love. You're laboring. You're separated. You've got good doctrine. But you've left your first love. Our first love, my friend, is with God. Our first love is Jesus. Years ago, I had an evangelist come to our church. And he preached in our church, and here's what he said. He used this text, and he said, Your first love is soul winning. Some of you aren't going soul winning. We used to go soul winning. You don't anymore. You left your first love. I thought to myself, good night. Where did this guy go to Bible college? Where did you get that? Your first love is soul winning? I'm for soul winning. But that's not my first love. My first love is Jesus. Thou hast left thy first love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart. That's first, Jesus said. I want you to open your Bible, if you would please, to John chapter 21 for a moment. I want, you to, show, I want to show you a period that happened in the Apostle, uh, Apostle Peter's life. You remember that Peter uh, had a very traumatic experience after the betrayal of, of the Lord Jesus or after, after uh, Judas betrayed Jesus and he was arrested, taken off to be crucified. And you remember how the, that Peter followed afar uh, off and he went in uh, there in, in, the, in the office of the quarters of the high priest and he saw what was going on and three times he denied the Lord. And this was a very uh, very difficult time for Peter. Peter was very discouraged and disappointed. He was he was heartbroken over what he had done. And he and he was so he so he was so down on himself that he that he realized that everything has fallen apart. I thought I was brave and I thought I was strong and I thought I was I I was the I was the, the man. I was the big guy. I'm Peter. I'm the one that's always out front. I'm the one that tells Jesus I will die for you. The others may de- deny you, but I will never deny you. I'll die for you. And then all of a sudden, he's afraid when a, when, a, when a little girl comes up to him, a maiden, and says, I think you're one of them. He said, no, no, no I'm not. I think you sound like, no, no, no. I, I'm not. I, I. Three times he denies the Lord. And he is so discouraged and so disappointed in himself that he totally quits the ministry. He goes back to his old life. In John chapter 21, he says, I'm, I'm going to go back to fishing. Now, when he, went, when he said, I'm going to go fishing in John 21, he's not saying, I'm going to go out for a fishing trip. He's going back to what he used to do. He was a professional fisherman before Jesus called him to follow him. And so now he says, I'm going back. So this is a period of time whenever he's very, very disappointed in himself. And he quits the ministry. He goes back to the old life. But look at verse 21, if you would, chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself. Now, notice that, that little phrase, after these things. What, what things are we talking about here? John's talking about all those things that are recorded prior to John 21. And you go through the, the, the gospel of John, and you see all of these wonderful things that happened in Peter's life. After Peter was called, uh, along with James and John, to leave their fishing business and follow Jesus, after he spent three years preaching with Jesus and, and, and healing the sick and feeding the multitude and seeing all the miracles Jesus did, after Jesus told him, he was to be betrayed and crucified, rise again the third day. After all of these things, Peter said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going back to my old life. After Jesus had commissioned them once again to be fishers of men in John twenty twenty one, When Jesus said to his disciples, as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. After all of these things, after Jesus had resurrected, after he had seen him, the resurrected Savior, Peter said, I can't do it. I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to my old job. I'm leaving serving God. They fish all night. They catch nothing. You know the story. Jesus appears on the shore. Simon Peter comes in, and when he gets there, we find that, Pete, that, that, that the Lord had prepared a meal for, for, for them. and They sit down, and they're eating fish, and, and, they're, and they're sitting there talking. Notice in John chapter 21, verse 15, when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon, Simon, I just want to ask you something. Simon, have you quit on me? Simon, is it true that you were cursing and swearing and denying that you knew me? Simon, is it true that that you denied that you were even a disciple at all? Uh Uh-uh. Jesus goes right to the heart of the problem, and he said, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And we don't know what he was talking about exactly when he said more than these. Maybe he was talking about the fish. Simon had fished all night and caught nothing. Now Jesus provides the fish, and maybe Jesus is saying, Simon, you love me more than your fishing business? Maybe he's saying, do you love me more than these, the other apostles, the other six disciples were there? Because you remember, Simon said, these, may, though, though, these guys may deny you, but I won't. Simon, do you love me more than these? When Jesus says to Simon, do you love me more than these? He uses the Greek word agapeo, agape. This is the highest form of love. This is the form of love that is willing to sacrifice to give everything. Agape, love, puts everything on the line. It's the love that I have for my wife. It's the love that I have for my children. It's not the word for your favorite sports team or your favorite restaurant. It's not, the, oh, I love pizza. That's not the word here. This is the word that that the highest form of love. And when Peter responds, he says, he uses the word phileo, which is a, the, the brotherly love, Philadelphia, brotherly love. And so Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me, intensely love me? And he said, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. You know I like you. Peter says to Jesus, you know that I I love you, that lower form. And Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs. Three times he asks him, one for every time that he denied him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? That's the real issue. The issue wasn't Peter's behavior. The issue wasn't that Peter had had, had, had messed up. The issue was, Peter, here's how we're going to get this thing fixed. You've got to get your love back. This is what we're dealing with here. Peter, do you love me? Occasionally, we need to hit the reset button and make sure we have a heart for God. Occasionally, we just need to kneel on our face before God and say, Lord, I'm still here. I'm still going through the motions, but Lord, my my heart's not in it anymore. Father, would you help me? God, would you help me to love you? Would you rekindle that love? We push that reset button. Jesus said the first commandment. What's this conference all about? Are you trying to get some money? No, no, no. We're going to ask you for money, yes. But that's not, that's not what it's all about. Look, if you can't, you can love, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving, right? You've heard it, the, old, the old saying, and it's true. But if you cannot, if, you can, if you're going to give, but you don't love the Lord, maybe just keep your money. God's not, God's not desperate for money. It's our privilege to be able to give to God out of a heart of love. We love him because he first loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is a natural response to our love. It's an, you, look. You you might as well tell me. You might as well tell me not to breathe as to tell me not to give to my wife and children and my grandkids. I can't help but give to them. Why? I love them. When you love somebody, you want to give. A heart number one, for God number two. Jesus went on to say to that, that, that young man that said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the great commandment is love God. The second one is very similar. It's likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, I don't believe really any of us love our neighbor as ourself like we should. We try. I oftentimes, my wife and I will pull into a, maybe it's raining, we pull into a parking lot. There's one parking lot left up towards the front. I see that parking lot. I see there's another car coming. I see the sweet little old lady in that car. And I say, God, forgive me. (laughs) I'm in that parking lot. I take that space. You know why? And I looked at my wife. I'll look at my wife oftentimes and say, you know, sweetheart, I'm trying, but I just don't love my neighbors myself. (laughs) I should, but I don't. On this particular occasion, I wanted that parking spot. Now, if it's a little old lady, I let her out of the car, out of the space. But if it's a guy, if it's a young guy like me, I'm getting the space, because <laughs> uh, you know we're we're young enough we can walk in the rain. He can too, just like me. But uh, we don't love her, we don't love her. we we want to, we we should, and we want to. But I'm convinced that none of us really love our neighbors as we should. If we loved our neighbor, we'd care about what's going on. And by the way, who's our neighbor? That same man that, 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 that Jesus asked Jesus, um, what's the greatest commandment? When Jesus said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, he said, well, who's my neighbor? And then he went on to tell a story. You know the story of the good Samaritan. And how that good Samaritan was willing to, to give everything that he had for this Jewish person that the Samaritans had nothing to do with. And yet he was willing to sacrifice for him. Someone that, that was considered an enemy of the Jews. And yet, this Samaritan was willing to to sacrifice for a Jewish person when he knew that Jewish person hated him, had no, had nothing good for him. The Jews called the Samaritans dogs; they thought they were they were they 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 totally were against them. And yet, a Samaritan helps a Jew in that story. And Jesus said, "That's what it means to love your neighbor." For twenty-five years, my wife and I lived just a few minutes from Disneyland. The Magic Kingdom. That may be how we met. You said, "How do we meet?" And, and, and uh, a lot of guys I know now, Pastor, I know them because whenever I was pastoring close to Disneyland, they would come down with their kids to go to Disneyland. They needed a place to go to church on Sunday. They'd come to our church, and I've gotten several pastor friends that I know around the country now that that's where we first met. Yeah, first, I used to visit your church when we go to when we go to Disneyland. Disneyland's a wonderful place. It's the Magic Kingdom. But the reality is that Disneyland is not real. Everybody knows it's not real. It's a fake place. It's like fake book. It's not real. In our world today, there are two kingdoms, real kingdoms and real people. America is the magic kingdom. America is a wonderful place to live. In the magic kingdom, America, children are encouraged to dream about what they might become and then go chase their dreams. In the magic kingdom, people struggle with first world problems. We struggle with things like, where should we go for dinner tonight? First world problems. How should we best decorate our home? First world problems. Where should we invest our excess money? Should we put it into into a Roth IRA? Should we put it into a a 401K? Should we hire a financial uh, uh, manager to help us with it? Uh, How should we invest our our excess money? What kind of a car would we drive? Should we drive an SUV, a crossover? Should we get a a sedan? Uh, We're in California. Maybe we should get a convertible. Um, and I'm not against any of those things. I, I, I'm not against them. I bought my wife a convertible on our, on our 30th wedding anniversary. And for all the time that we were in Southern California, from the time our 30th anniversary, by the way, we're coming up January 29th, to we'll be 50. So that was 20 years ago I bought her first convertible. And she had a convertible up until the time we, we, we left Liberty Baptist Church and moved to China. We sold her convertible and we moved to China. But so for all of those years she had a convertible and uh, I'm, so I'm not against convertibles. I had a, mo- I had a motorcycle. I'm not against motorcycles. I'm not against any of those things. I'm just telling you, this is the magic kingdom. This is where we live. This is the kind of things that we struggle with. Where should we go on vacation? Should we take a cruise? Uh, should we go to another country? Should we go to Mexico? Um, again, my wife and I went to Puerto Vallarta every year for our anniversary. We lived in we lived in Southern California. We could get a nonstop flight two and a half hours to Puerto Vallarta. We go there every January for our our wedding anniversary. Uh, I'm not against it. I'm just saying this is where we live. We live in the magic kingdom. Outside of our kingdom, there's another kingdom. It's much larger than our kingdom. It's not the magic kingdom, it's the tragic kingdom. And outside of our kingdom in America, there are billions of people who live in that kingdom. Four and a half, five billion people live in that kingdom. Three billion of them, over three billion of them live in two countries, China and India. Those two countries alone Make up over 3 billion people out of the 5 billion people that live in that part of the world. 68 different countries across the 1040 window where my wife and I work. In the tragic kingdom, millions of people go to bed hungry each night. More than a billion of them are chronically short of food. They're slowly starving to death. In the tragic kingdom, most citizens have very little access to clean drinking water. Over a billion have no access at all. They walk down to the rivers and they pick up the take their buckets and they get the uh, water and they bring it back and it's it's filled with parasites. In the tragic kingdom, more than one-third of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. $2 a day. 30% of them live that way. More than 75% live on less than $10 a day. According to MSN money, according to MSN money, if you made $15,000 a year, you're in the top 20% of the world's income earners. If you make... $25,000 $25,000 a year, you're in the top 10%. If you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the income earners of the world. In the tragic kingdom, Christians are beheaded. Little girls are taken as slaves and they're given to ISIS soldiers and they're sold to, to the sex trade. In the tragic kingdom... People sell their little girls to men who tell them they're be taken somewhere to receive an education and learn and, and learn a job. But they're not going to be taken to learn to get an education and learn a job. In Nepal, there are places in the in, in the mountains above Nepal of Nepal. There are villages where you can go to those villages, and entire villages where you can't find a girl over the age of eight. They've all been sold. Their parents sell them to to people who come and men who come and say, "Look, we're going to take your daughter down to Kathmandu, and we're going to we're going to give her an education. She's going to learn how to read and write. We're going to learn. She's going to learn how to how to clean houses and work in hotels where the foreigners stay, and she's going to be able to have a better life than she has here. Most of those girls aren't going to make it to Kathmandu. They're going to get sold in India before they to, to into India or to Bangladesh before they ever get there." The tragic kingdom. Very few people know what it's like to have a have 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 a church like ours, like yours. They don't have a Bible. They don't have the gospel. There are places in that part of the world where you can be born, you can live your entire life, and die, and go to hell. Never one time see a Christian. Never see a Bible. Never hear the gospel. You say, what happens to those people? They die and go to hell. They go to hell. What if they've never heard? They go to hell. They, they, they die without Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He said, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Let me tell you what's not fair and what's not right. What's not fair and what's not right is that those of us here in the magic kingdom who could send the gospel to them do not. Do not. That's what's not right. My wife and I interact with these dear people every day. I want to tell you something. Just like Brother Caleb said, those people in San Francisco—they're just people. They're just people. And so are those people. They're just people. They love people. They love like you. They hate like you. They feel like you. They have desires like you do. They have emotions like we do. They're—they're they're just like us. They just happen to live in a place where they don't have the gospel. I'm afraid that we've become so comfortable we can no longer hear the cries of our neighbors. Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love God. And then he said, very close to loving God is love your neighbor. If you love God, love others. And then, of course, Jesus gave us what we call the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus said we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Great Commission is the reason why your church exists. You're here not just for yourself. You're here to love God, to love your neighbor, and to get the gospel out to the rest of the world. That part of the world that you can through your missions giving and that part of the world right here where you live. In fact, Jesus told us how we do it. He told the disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And I want you to wait to you be a with power from on high. In Acts one eight, he said, Then after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, I want you to be witnesses to me, both, both at the same time. Both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uppermost, uttermost part of the world. So Jesus said, I want you to do go in your Jerusalem. Your Jerusalem is right here. Go to your family first. Go to your neighbors first. Go to your people, your contacts. You say, well, I don't know. Look, you have people that you could witness to. If you, if you sincerely ask God, Lord, would you give me somebody that I can tell... To give the gospel to that I can tell them about you, I promise you he'll give you somebody, he'll put people into your life, and it's not going to be this uncomfortable thing where you have to walk around with a shirt on that says Turner Burn, you know, and uh, you know, yeah, that, that's not what I'm talking about. You don't have to get out in the street corner and start screaming at people. By the way, I had the privilege of doing that not long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I chose not to, though I chose just to hold up the sign. <laughs> I was preaching down to San Pedro, and um, Saturday morning, Pastor said, said, I said, "I said, I said, I preached Friday to Saturday, Sunday. Friday night preached. I said, so I said, preacher, we're gonna we're going out soloing tomorrow. He said, yep. He we 'We're going out solo tomorrow. We're going street preaching.' That's okay. <laughs> so, so I I showed up and we went out onto a street corner, busy street corner in San Pedro, and and uh, he stood on the corner and, and yelled at people. I held up the signs. He had a bunch of signs. I chose the one that said, you must be born again. <laughs> and held that sign up, you must be born again. And we were. And, and look, I, I'm, it's all, I'm okay with it. it. It's good. But you don't have to do that. You know what you could do? You could say, Lord, would you give me somebody that I can talk to? Yep. And he will. He'll give you somebody that you can talk to. We can go out tomorrow, and we can knock on some doors, or we can hang up some, some door, door hangers. And we can see some people and just say, hey, just want to let you know that that we've got a church over here and and, and we love people. Man, we'd love to have you come. Has anybody ever talked to you about Jesus? I mean, God will give you opportunities if you want them and if you'll ask him to, to give you the boldness to do it. What's this missions conference all about these couple of days we've got together? Number one, the great commandment a love for God. Number two, the great compassion a love for your neighbor. Number three, the great commandment to take the gospel around the world. So why don't we begin the conference by simply kneeling before the Lord and saying, God, would you give me those three things? Would you give me a love for you? Lord, help me to push that reset button and fall in love with you again. And Lord, help me to care about my neighbors. Help me to care about others that are that, that, that live outside of this magic kingdom that we have. And, and But we need to reach the magic kingdom too. We need more churches in America but not just in America. We need to go into all the world. And Lord, help me bring somebody into my life that I can tell about you. Let's bow our heads together for prayer, if we could, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege that we have to be able to be be here together. Thank you, Father, again for this church. Thank you for our pastor and his family. And Lord, for what you've done here through the years now, Father, I pray that as uh, we have this missions conference, I pray, God, that you'd meet with us. Lord, I pray that when this this conference is over, that uh, the reality is that we'll be more in love with you, and we'll have a greater vision for the world, and, Father, for the part that we can have personally in taking the gospel to people. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if we could, please, and I'm not sure exactly how, we're going to, how you do the invitation normally, but maybe if God's spoken to your heart and you want to slip out and kneel here at the altar, or maybe you want to pray right there in your seat, at this point, we just invite you to come. Do whatever God wants you to do. Pray there in your seat. Pray at the altar. <clears throat> the the, the issue is not whether where you are. You can say, Stay right there in your seat. Have a seat there and pray. Come forward and pray. Whatever. But let's ask God to help us to love Him again. Push that reset button. And say, Lord, I want to love you. I want to love not only you, I want to love others. And I want to be a witness to those in my my community.